Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. I actually had a series of experiences at a young age, starting at age nine and then a, um, a very traumatic experience at age 12 that led me into knowing that I wanted to uh, both help people find resources and to create uh, services in the healthcare community for people who were grieving. Welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. This is Gavin Ward, co-host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I sat down virtually with Tori Fields, founder of Votive Health. Tori shares her personal story, how at a very young age, she had to personally face chronic disease. And then while driving up for her med school orientation, she was actually diagnosed with cancer and decided to seek treatment instead of med school. But at that moment, she actually had no medical insurance. Tori shares her journey where today, after lots of experience personally and professionally with groups like Blue Shield, where she built out a palliative care program, she's able to now scale models of care nationally to help with end of life and grieving. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Pop Health Podcast. Of course, you can find other episodes on pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the show. So, Tori, tell us something about you that might surprise the audience, something that maybe your colleagues or coworkers may not connect with you. I am a big foodie. I like to cook a lot, uh, which actually uh, led me to becoming a certified butcher. My, what? What is <laughs> My dad was a butcher, my father. Um, my grandfather was a butcher. Uh, so I come from a long range of sort of pig farming family, and I I know I I'm like this blonde woman, and I love to wield a cleaver, um, <laughs> uh, and it, it's uh, something that my was sort of passed down in our our family, and I I love to cook, and that's actually the thing that I enjoy the most is uh, is butchery. Very interesting. So how did you end up going from you know growing up on a farm? Um, and that world to then getting into healthcare. So you, you grew up on a farm, correct? I grew up actually in um, the Carlsbad and Oceanside, California area in um, uh, unincorporated San Diego County, California. So um, partially on a farm, but a lot of the time I was really your regular suburban uh, beach community kid. Okay. Cool. So growing up, did you think, hey, I'm going to be in end-of-life care? I actually had a series of experiences at a young age, um, starting at age nine and then a, um, a very traumatic experience at age 12 that led me into knowing that I wanted to uh, both help people uh, find resources and to create uh, services in the healthcare community for people who were grieving. Um, I had uh, some traumatic 
losses in my life. And um, I really um, had some connection to grief and bereavement and, and felt like um, there weren't adequate resources out there for people. So from a, a paid perspective, I've always really known that I wanted to work in, in healthcare. I just uh, didn't know where. I was also, um, unfortunately, a pretty seriously ill child, and my mother was a single mother for most of the time. And so I found uh, at a very young age the intersection between employment and health insurance and access to health care. And, yeah. um, and so um, I think that I really leaned more toward process improvement and quality improvement and access to health care, really, rather than the delivery of medical care. Uh, and yeah, interesting, because I think most people I've talked to, it's the opposite, right? Maybe they're more on the provider side first, and then they learn about what you learned early on. Um, you actually might be the first person who kind of heard that story. Very interesting. So you grow up in the San Diego area, you start to develop these feelings, and then you end up going off to Portland, right? Yeah. I originally, um, I knew I wanted to be in healthcare delivery, and I was very interested in grief and bereavement, but I didn't know very much about how I could make a big impact in healthcare. And so um, I, because I had no family who ever worked in healthcare, um, I didn't know how to navigate it. And so I applied to medical school as one would if you're a smart kid who wants to make a difference in healthcare. Um, that was the direction I thought I needed to take. So I, I got into med school um, in Oregon and on my way uh, from driving from San Diego where I was uh, finished undergrad to med school, uh, I got the phone call that I was diagnosed with cancer. So I actually never really um, pursued med school because I, I pursued treatment. Wow, interesting. So you've obviously conquered that, have overcome cancer and, and battled it. So tell us what happens. So you, you, you battle cancer, you get the treatment, and then what happens? Yeah, so it's, um, I, uh, thank you. I, I am actually in, in remission, so great. I ended up actually not having health insurance. I, I actually, the, um, I had lost my health insurance the day before that I found out I had cancer. So I wow. pursued treatment right away. And I ended up getting a, a, a looking for a job that could get me benefits so that I could pursue treatment. And yeah. I ended up um, working at the Internal Revenue Service, teaching tax law. And I found that what I really loved um, was the intersection between finance and healthcare delivery and access to care. And um, I, um, even though I ended up having to give up my dreams for going to med school or these thoughts of how I thought I was going to contribute, my experience with cancer treatment and the job that I took during that time to just get access to benefits really shaped um, what I can contribute um, for people moving forward, um, namely getting increased access to high quality care for people in their homes um, at, a, at a lower, lower price point for the patient. 
I mean, this your story is very unique, right? I mean, we all have un- quote unquote unique stories, but uh, I've been in healthcare. I'm I'm almost 40 years old, been in the industry. I'm 15, 20 years, and you truly have a very unique path, which is pretty cool. So um, you eventually made it to Blue Shield, one of the largest you know healthcare providers uh, in California. Tell us about that and your time there. I am very interested. Once I got an understand of the understanding of the healthcare system and really decided I wanted to focus on the finance around serious illness, I became very passionate about the Affordable Care Act. And so um, I ended up, um, once the Affordable Care Act was looking like it was going to be passed, I ended up uh, going into a health in, uh, into the health insurance side to help to implement value-based payment and new medical home or things for people with serious illness. And so I started out um, developing out a comprehensive palliative care uh, program at uh, Cambia Health Solutions, which is the okay. Blue Cross Blue Shield plan in the Pacific Northwest. So Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Utah. And then I took an opportunity at Blue Shield of California about five years ago to build out um, their comprehensive palliative care uh, solution, um, which included um, uh, 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 enabling access for uh, all of their members with serious illness, um, uh, for them to have access to home-based palliative care. So that home-based palliative care included um, a team of uh, physicians, nurses, social workers, chaplains, and home health aides. And they're available for anyone with Blue Shield coverage um, who has a serious illness and needs extra help no matter where they live. Um, so that that was really um, an exciting experience because what we got to do was really um, implement some of these things that we had heard from patients and families and even from my own experience um, really mattered um, and that they needed. That's awesome. So you did that in other states and then you've done similar work here in California, right? Correct. So that's what that's actually the program that we built at Blue Shield of California. And um, that has gained a lot of traction across the country. Um, I would say Blue Shield of California is really the leader in delivering comprehensive home-based palliative care and and comprehensive home-based primary care services. Awesome. So you're working for this big organization, probably stable job, doing well. What made you decide to venture off on your own and eventually start Votive Health? Blue Shield of California was a huge opportunity for me, um, for us as an organization and for the field of hospice and palliative medicine to uh, test at a large scale a value-based payment model that would increase access to comprehensive services in someone's home using the existing community resources available today. Once we were able to really develop a structure for how we would contract with individual uh, community-based palliative care providers, uh, and we had developed a payment model, and we had actually developed um, some type of language or vernacular around how we work with these organizations, a lot of health insurance companies um, were very interested in replicating 
the same thing or doing something similar. And at the same time, community-based palliative care organizations across the country were also looking at California to say, we want to do this here too. And so I, I think um, a, what I noticed was a groundswell. And uh, I really wanted to step into um, the function of um, developing a serious illness network manager or a, a serious illness management service that can take that model or that idea of aggregating providers and empowering uh, payers and providers alike to have uh, successful value-based payments for serious illness care. Um, and that's I, what I'm really doing with Votive is amplifying that message and really bringing to market um, and bringing to scale some of that work that we tested out um, to more health plans um, and to more health systems to really step into this you know, crisis that we have, which is rising population of people with serious illness. Definitely. Uh, we are recording today uh, during the whole COVID-19 crisis and pandemic. So uh, serious illness is uh, definitely top of mind for I'm sure all of us right now. Um, Votive Health, where did that name come from? How did you come up with that name? Uh, the Votive is actually Actually, one of the most ancient rituals in serious illness care um, and uh, in particular in hospice and end-of-life care. Um, so we might often think of the votive as something that is a religious icon, you know, those candles that we light in front of a religious figure, or a votive as in something that holds your tea light at home something that holds a candle. It actually goes back to ancient Greek times where um, there was a premise that um, we support one another through suffering. And okay. in ancient Greek times, uh, people would hold candles to hold vigil over a person with serious illness so that they weren't alone when they passed. Um, and uh, at those times, they would just be holding these beeswax or other type candles and they would burn their hands. So they would create something that would be a token or a commitment, a vow, uh, that would hold the candle to show that they, were, um, that they were still there with somebody who was suffering. So what we're doing at Votive is really being, um, uh, we're not providing direct care, but we are connecting uh, patients and families to high quality serious illness providers. And we're making sure that really when people need serious illness care, uh, that they get it and that they don't suffer alone. That's awesome. So did you know that term for a long time? I did. I, I knew that term. Um, my brother is actually... Uh, he studies the history of words. This is his livelihood. And so he's spent a lot of time talking to me about where words come from. And um, votives are what really got me through my cancer experience. I had a lot of people who sent me candles uh, because I couldn't leave the house for a lot of the time. I was too sick to leave the house. And so I could look up and see these gifts from my friends. Um, and um, so the word votive comes from vow or devoted. 
uh, and it's a to token of devotion. So uh, I've loved that word. I think it's really beautiful and, and really encompasses sort of the, the, the things that we're trying to do. Yeah, really well said. That's great, Tori. Um, so we know that you serve health plans and you serve those that need chronic care. Um, how does your company generate, like how do you guys, are you, are you sustained by the health plans or how does that work? So ultimately what we do is we work as an adapter between um, health plans and our providers. And so uh, we work to enable our, our serious illness providers to provide high quality care. So that means ultimately what it looks like is we are paid uh, by the health insurance company or by the health system, whomever the payer is. Um, okay. Ideally, we uh, work usually with those payers who have um, some type of financial uh, risk or facility risk, which is really where some of that shift in site of care or cost of care moves from. Um, okay. They pay us and then we aggregate a network of those providers and we pay those providers. So we actually, how we are sustained is on a percent of revenue with our uh, serious illness providers that we contract with. Okay, that's great. I know we touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, has, uh, besides what we talked about already, has COVID-19 had any other impact um, on, on what you guys do so far? And again, we're recording uh, during the pandemic. Today's date, just for the listeners, is April 3rd. So uh, that's when we're recording. Go ahead, Tori. Absolutely. I think that um, a lot of the time in serious illness care and in especially in, in venture or in business development, um, there's been a conversation about needing to find a way to identify the patient or find patients. The COVID crisis has completely changed that. And what we need to do is have a rapid response deployment effort for the services that people need. We have already found those patients. And I think that ultimately what I'm able to really lean into with Votive is that we are finding and aggregating those providers that patients need. Um, so what that is doing is, I think, really changing the market. It's uh, proving right in front of us the business case or the need and the size of the population that needs serious illness care. Um, it makes it a little bit easier to really show what that business case is and really what the value is. Um, and to that point, uh, I uh, what I have been seeing are different partnerships coming to the table. So for example, emergency departments who need to make sure that people with serious illness stay at home. They might be um, a more likely partner now because they're in, at the front lines and need rapid response and need people to stay at their home and uh, services to come to them. So those are the partnerships that I'm starting to see forming in front of my eyes in the last week. Um, there's wow. a lot of interest in the last week from hospital systems across the country in how they rapidly train their providers in advanced care planning, and also how can they refer patients and their families to advanced care planning from a virtual or a telephonic perspective. So I'm seeing a lot of that interest. There's a, I think we're seeing the market grow and change and the, the partnerships are, are changing uh, rapidly every week. 
everything is so fluid right now. I'm, I'm happy to hear you able to help folks uh, during this time and maybe in ways you didn't see as the main core of what you guys do when you originally came up with the business idea. And now is this, speaking of the business idea, is this kind of your baby? Um, do you have uh, other folks that have come up with this votive health idea with you? This is really something, a concept that I have been developing as a body of work for the um, things that I have been testing out in the serious illness space. I'm a health economist um, and a, a quality improvement specialist by training. And so I've I'm often in the rapid prototyping and piloting phase. And so this is really um, the amalgamation of a lot of this work that I've been building. I do have two co-founders and they um, are John Mor Dr. John Morris and uh, Christopher Morissette. Both of them uh, came from the Telios Collaborative Network, which is in North Carolina. And that is an organization that actually helps support um, nonprofit community-based hospices um, maximize or optimize their practices under fee-for-service billing uh, and expand toward value-based payment. So um, we've been collaborating over the last several years, and this is uh, really a body of both of our work coming together, supporting both payers and contracting, but also supporting operational and clinical infrastructure for our um, serious illness providers. Okay, awesome. So let's say five years from now, I know we hear this question probably in other types of interviews, but it, I'm curious from your perspective as well, where do you see votive health? What would be different then than today? With whether votive, the whole care continuum, you tell us. It's an interesting time to answer that question because I think that we don't have enough information now about how the healthcare delivery system might need to change in the next five years under this really threat of an invisible illness or invisible virus that we see. However, yeah. what I do what I do see is. Um, continuing to move toward population health payments and value-based payment, and the move for uh, CMS to carve hospice into Medicare Advantage. Um, Medicare Advantage plans uh, have every other benefit except for hospice now since the supplemental dialysis or the, the dialysis carbon. So I think that what I see in the next five years is that what we will need to, um, as a home health and hospice community, prepare for on the provider side is a shift toward value-based payment, is a shift toward taking risk. And that's really where Votive has positioned ourselves um, is to aggregate community-based and independent providers and take on risk for them so that we can leverage and negotiate contracts and make sure that we are preparing providers for the future of value-based care. Um, I think that what will change is carving in hospice and that hospice will then move from a fee-for-service to uh, more of a value-based payment perspective as well. And you'll see that change just like in the home health community happen in the next five years. And, and there, as, same as home health, you will see you know, big winners and losers, I think, in, in that space too. Um, the transition to value-based payment is difficult. So the general public probably will never see Votive because you're helping these organizations behind the scenes, right? Am I getting that right? 
The general public may interact with Votive um, over the phone if we are um, uh, performing some type of case management or if we are working to route or to triage um, members of the general public to a provider in their community that would be best for them or serve them best. So um, really what we would serve as is a connector, um, but okay. definitely want um, our providers to retain their community capital and to actually really grow their brands independently. Great, Tori. Well, hey, really appreciate you uh, sharing about Votive Health today. Uh, this is our second podcast that is not in person. So audience, we hope the audio quality is good. Tori and I were actually planning to do this in person. She was planning to attend a conference down in the San Diego area uh, in March. And uh, we all know that this was mid to late March when it was scheduled. So we hope you enjoy the audio quality. Uh, we're actually doing this via video uh, conference, but the audience will hear this. You guys will just hear this on audio. So uh, Tori, thanks so much. How do folks learn more about Votive Health? Uh, you can find out more about Votive Health at www votivehealth.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Tori, T-O-R-R-I-E-K Fields, F-I-E-L-D-S. Awesome. And then are you on LinkedIn too, or is most of your uh, communication done via Twitter? I am on LinkedIn as well um, under Tori K Fields, I believe. Uh, if you search Tori Fields, I think if you guys try Tori Fields on LinkedIn, you'll be able to find her. Uh, thank you so much, Tori, for sharing your story. And I did have a chance to talk with Tori prior to today's show for a few minutes, and I had no idea about her own personal connection to all of this, which is really neat. And appreciate you being on the show, Tori. Thank you very much for having me. Folks, if you enjoyed today's episode with Tori and would like to hear other episodes of Pop Health Podcast, check us out on pophealthpodcast.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you'd love to leave a review for us, we would be grateful uh, on iTunes especially. That helps us uh, stay at the top of the charts and bring in guests like Tori. Thanks, folks. Take care.